You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. God's promise to Abraham is a blessing to all nations. Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video. As the world continues to grapple with the question of who owns the land of Israel and Jerusalem, the Bible clearly states that this land was promised to two persons only, to Abraham and his descendant, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. This promise is made in Genesis and confirmed in the New Testament, comprising the gospel message and the hope of everlasting peace for this beleaguered world. The man Abraham is referred to in the Bible time and time again. In fact, there are over 200 references to him in the Old Testament and another 70 references at least in the New Testament. I think you would agree that's a lot of times. So one must conclude that there must be something important to find out about this man called Abraham. And as the title suggests, God made some promises to Abraham, a promise which by him and a specific offspring of his, the Lord Jesus Christ, would ultimately have all nations to be blessed. And this is actually a cornerstone teaching of the Bible. And understanding it is key to unlocking the gospel message, the good news of the kingdom of God and of the name of Jesus Christ. How can we make such claim? Well, I want to begin by first having a look at one of those references in the New Testament. We find in Paul's letter to the Galatians words written to Jews who trusted in keeping the law of Moses, that they might be saved. They they had the attitude of, I do, and therefore I will be saved. And that attitude was a massive problem, and it became the subject of much controversy in the New Ecclesia. In fact, it threatened the spread of the gospel message. And even some of the pillars of the Ecclesia, Peter, James and John, who were back in Jerusalem, and Barnabas, who was actually with the Apostle Paul on his first journey, started to withdraw themselves from the Gentiles and to embrace this view. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the Jews to make a point. The point that they were wrong to insist that the Gentiles could only be saved on the proviso that they were circumcised and that they kept the law of Moses. In Galatians 3 verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. In this verse, Paul makes the point that God, before the law of Moses was given, preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. In other words, 
Paul is saying, Mr. Jew, have you considered the teaching that all nations would be blessed in Abraham was a part of God's promise to Abraham before the law of Moses was given? And therefore, the fact this gospel was preached well before the law was given, then Mr. Jew, God would make would, would justify or make righteous the Gentiles by faith and certainly not by insisting that they be circumcised or keep the law of Moses. In Acts chapter 15, we read, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them him the Holy Spirit, even as he did unto us. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. This is a passage that comes from the record of a conference that was held in Jerusalem to discuss this very issue, this very same matter. And the apostles and the elders were all there, and they came together, and after much disputing, the apostle Peter, who was one of those ones who originally had started to draw from the Gentiles, came to the realisation that he'd been heading in the wrong direction. And he stands up and he makes this appeal to those at the conference. And in verses 8 to 9, he reflects on the extraordinary events that occurred around the conversion of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion who was a Gentile. And... He's reflecting back on the events that are recorded in Acts chapter 10. So with those words on the screen there in mind from Acts chapter 15, come back to Acts chapter 10. Now this is record of the, of the conversion of Cornelius. We see in verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and he said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, so not just Jew, but also Gentile, every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. And then verse 40, him, and he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, as you can see there in verse 38, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. So Jesus died, God raised him from the dead, and there were some that were witnesses of that. Verse 42, he commended us to preach unto the people. So this is what Jesus commanded the apostles to do, to preach unto the people and to testify that he is, which was ordained of God, to be the judge of quick and dead. To give him all the prophets, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever, whosoever, so it's not just Jew, again, it's both Jew or Gentile, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And then while Peter spake these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them, so that's upon Cornelius and upon his household. And <clears throat> They of the circumcision that were there, which believed, were absolutely astonished that the Holy Spirit had actually come down 
as it had come down upon them in Acts chapter 2, had come down upon these Gentiles and they took that as a sure sign that God had accepted the Gentiles and so they proceeded to baptise Cornelius and his household. So in Acts chapter 15, Peter is reflecting back on these events. And back in Acts 15, Peter concludes in his address to those at the conference. He says, Well, on the basis of that happening, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In other words, why do you insist that they keep the law, something that neither we nor our fathers could keep either? But we, he says, believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 10 records, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not by law, not by being circumcised, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So salvation is through grace by faith in Christ Jesus. Living a life of holiness shows our respect and appreciation for that position of grace. So to reiterate, what is the blessing in Abraham which all nations will receive? Well, the answer, God would justify or make righteous the Gentiles, the nations, through faith and not by an insistence that they keep the law or be circumcised. If it wasn't a matter of keeping rules, how would God justify the Gentiles? Well, our quotes from Acts 10 and Acts 15 has already hinted, hadn't it? By faith in Christ Jesus. Well, let's take that a little further. Have you wondered why the first words of the New Testament in the Gospel record of Matthew start with the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Christ actually came to confirm the promises. Promises that were made to Abraham, promises that were made to David, which we will look at, God willing, next week. And in Romans 15 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul record, Jesus Christ confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, for this cause I will confess thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord all ye Gentiles and laud him all ye people. Well, okay, let's go back now. Let's wind back the pages as it were and have a look at the Genesis record to see what God's promises to Abraham actually were. And the story of Abraham has its background in Genesis chapter 10. You see, God 
had just destroyed men from the face of the earth. Everyone, that is, except Noah. Noah, who found grace in the eyes of God. And you'll remember from a few weeks ago when we looked at this subject, Noah, under God's instruction, had built an ark, a great big boat. And when the word was given, he, together with his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, and with their wives, entered into the ark and were saved from the ensuing flood. Well, the water subsided and Noah and his sons and their wives went forth from the ark. And in Genesis 9 and verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, which is what he did. It was just as God had said to Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. He said to Adam after he'd created him and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So it's the same command, which he did as well. Well, after the flood, men began to multiply and to worship God, just as God intended. But there is still a problem. And we looked at the root cause for this last week under the guidance of Jonathan. After the flood, even after the flood, we read in Genesis 8 and verse 21 that the imagination of men's heart is evil from his youth. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And in time, the teaching of God became less of an influence. Man, left to his own vices, will never improve. When abandoned by God, he degenerates into an ignorant savage, ferocious as the beasts of prey. And so, just in the days before the flood, when there were men of renown who arose, men such as Lamech and his sons who didn't have a single care for God or for his word, then again after the flood, Powerful men, such as Nimrod, set up their own kingdoms in defiance of God. And we read of this in Genesis chapter 10. Genesis 10 and verse 6, And the sons of Ham, Cush and Mizraim and Phut and Canaan. Verse 8, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and so forth. And they were based in the land of Shinar. Across the page in Genesis chapter 11, about 200 years after the flood, we're told that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech in verse 1. There was no need for Google Translate. And this provided an added dynamic of greater efficiency with more supplies to access, more talent for hire, more ideas to harness, more markets to reach. And the ramification for man's advancement were huge. In Genesis 11 and verse 2 to 5, we're told that men then built a huge central city and a great tower of worship, a ziggurat, a monumental temple tower, commonly in those days, built of sun-dried mud and uh, bricks that were held in position with bitumen as mortar. And stairways ascended to the top of these structures, as you can see there, where a small temple or shrine sat on the summit. 
They built this tower to unite themselves and to make a name, irrespective of the name of Yahweh. You see that in verse 4. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And if you link that back to Genesis chapter 11, verse 4, you see that was exactly the same problem before the flood. There were men of renown or men of name. Well, in verse 5, God came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And he observes in verse 6 that they were again corrupting the earth. So we've got, of course, the same situation as back in Genesis 6 before the flood. Well, what's he going to do this time? God had established a covenant with Noah that he would never again use a flood to destroy the earth. The rainbow was given as a token of that covenant. So he's not going to do that again. Well, in verse 7, in response, we read that God confounded their language so that they wouldn't understand one another's speech. He put in place a language barrier. No communication, and with that came the lack of supplies, a lack of talent to hire, no ideas, and so it tells us that they left off building the city. They were no longer united. Progress was severely hampered and people became scattered and segregated into the small groups they could communicate amongst. And the city became known as Babel or Babylon in Genesis 11 and verse 9, which means confusion. So was this going to stop men from making themselves a name? Well, no. After all, the flood hadn't solved the problem, had it? And confounding the language certainly put the brakes on and slowed things down, but in the process of time, men rose to the challenge again and built himself such cities as Nineveh and Ur that we read of in verse 11. Genesis 10, verse 11. So the flood and confounding of languages was not going to stem the tide of wickedness. And these cities, such as Ur of the Chaldees, became centres of idolatry. And so God determined to make a new commencement in order to preserve the truth, in order to preserve the seed of the woman. What could be done to give God's truth a continuing voice in the earth? How would God respond that his purpose might be vindicated? We know the words of John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God determined that man should not perish but that he should be rescued from the evil in spite of himself. And chance was not going to bring this to pass. And who was the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, why? The son of Abraham. And in this context, we are first introduced to Abraham. And so, as we saw last week, God promised after Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden, salvation from sin and death through a seed of the woman, a descendant and an offspring that would be a son of man, born of a woman, but also be the son of God. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ who was going to save his people from their sins. 
And what we'll see tonight is that Abraham was promised that Jesus Christ would be one of his offspring. And that ultimately, through this offspring, all nations of the earth would be blessed. And the final and ultimate solution to the continual downhill spiral of mankind would be realised in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, after the story of Babel, Genesis 11 and verse 10 launches into the descendants of Shem. And we follow them all the way down to verse 24, where we read that Nahor begat Terah, and then verse 26 and 27, Terah uh, begat Haran, Nahor, and Abram. And this family lived in Ur of the Chaldees, in verse 28. In fact, Haran, we are told, died well before his father Terah while they were living in Ur. Ur lies about 300 kilometres southeast of modern Baghdad on a, on a bend of the original course of the Euphrates River. It was a well-developed city. It had large libraries. It had irrigation canals, royal tombs, great riches, a massive temple that was dedicated to the worship of the moon god Nana. In fact, it seems to have been the most important city of the time. And it had the political power and leadership over the Sumerians, which were the dominant group in Mesopotamia during the third millennium BC. And Abraham and his family, before the call of God, were idolaters living in the city of Ur, just as everyone else. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2 to 3, it tells us that they dwelt there and they served other gods. So they were idolaters like the rest. And the first call to Abram came between Genesis chapter 11 verse 30 and 31. You won't see it there. So why do we say that? Well, just keep a hand there in Genesis chapter 11 because we will come back to it. And come over to Stephen's defence in Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, in Acts chapter 7, gives defence for the hope of the gospel that he had. And he goes through the history of the nation. And in verse 2, he says, The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said unto him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and into the land that I will show you. So the first call was initially to Abram while he lived in Ur. Abram, leave your country, your kindred, and come to a land that I will show you. Again, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 7, you don't need to turn it up, but that says, Thou art the Lord Yahweh, the God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name of Abraham. So having received that first call, we read back in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 31. And Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran and his son's son and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son's Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and they dwelt there. That's exactly what Stephen goes on to record in Acts chapter 7, verse 4 in his defence. He said, Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. 
So it seems after the first call came to Abraham that the family were somewhat sympathetic and so they moved with him. There were clear, clearly strong family ties. They sold their homes, they repudiated the worship of other gods and no, joke, no doubt were subject to ridicule of their neighbours and acquaintances which they left behind in Ur. And it's apparent from verse 31 that it was Terah that led the charge. Haran was about a thousand kilometres from Ur. A distance, uh, if you walk from here, across the border into Victoria and on through the Grampians, through Ballarat, on through the city of Melbourne and down to Australia's uh, further a southern point, Wilson's Pometry, just to give you some perspective of how far this family actually did travel to go from Ur to Haran. Google says it would take 194 hours if you were to walk it, so the best part of a month's walk, and that's obviously not considering the logistics of carrying everything as they had to do. Why did they stop at Haran? Well, indecision. Interesting, Tira, his name means to tarry or to delay. And we don't know why. Obviously, there was some resistance, but in putting off the journey, sadly, it became too late for Tira. Because according to Acts chapter 7 and verse 4, Tira, Abram's father, died in Haran. But after, at the age of 75, Abram then received the second call and they moved on from Haran to the land of promise. Acts chapter 7 verse 4, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. That is Israel, because that was who um, Stephen was addressing, the Jews who were there in Israel. And so we read then the words of the second call by God in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. And God says, Abram, leave your country, your kindred, your father's house and come to a land that I will show you. By this time there is a promise. But this time there is a promise. The first promise to Abram given with a condition. Because God says, if you do this, if you leave Haran and go to the land that I, God, will show you, then I'm going to reward you as follows for your faith and for your obedience. And so we follow the words of the first great promise of God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 2 to 3. So let's read those. If you do these things, if you get out of, well, let's get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, verse 1, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And if you do this, Abraham, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So you see here, Abram was promised that he would become a great nation in a literal sense. And he did become a rich man and his name, um, sorry, in a ritual sense, he, 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 this man, he came, from him came the 12 tribes of Israel and the Jewish race that we have today. His name was going to be great on the earth and in that sense he did become a rich man and his name became well known throughout the land. God said that he would bless those that blessed Abraham and curse those that cursed him. And if we look at the history of the Jews, 
we will see repeatedly that those who have blessed Israel have been blessed. Whereas those like Haman in the book of Esther or even Hitler and Germany in more recent times have been cursed because of their hatred of the Jews. Well, what is the blessing which all nations will receive when the promises are fulfilled? In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, we read, didn't we, earlier from Galatians 3 verse 8, that God would justify or make righteous the Gentiles, the nations, through faith. Any race or nationality, it's very inclusive. Anyone can be involved in the promises made to Abraham. How? Well, in Christ, as we said earlier. Now consider the faith involved to make such a move. Probably been sitting there a little bit uh, long now and getting a little bit stiff. Here's, here's a question. Hands up those who have actually shifted house. I suspect most hands will go up. What about those who have shifted interstate? There's a few hands that aren't going up that I know should. <laughs> what about those who have actually shifted country? So interestingly, there are a few amongst us, isn't there? Well, okay, you might say, so what? Abraham moved and, well, consider this. Hebrews 11 and verse 8 tells us that by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, he went out not knowing whither he went. So that adds a slightly different dimension, doesn't it? God says, Abraham, up you get, I'm going to show you a land which I'll give you You've just got to do what I tell you. So for those who have moved overseas, if you don't know where you're heading, it's a, it's a different dynamic, isn't it? There's a little bit more um, at stake and a little bit more faith that's shown in that. And so Genesis 12 and verse 4 to 5 tell us that they, that is Abraham and Sarah and his nephew Not, with all their substance and household, went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan, they finally came. Not sure what happened there with that, uh, that overhead. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> they finally came and they passed through the land and came to a place. Um, that is way out. Sorry, there's a... Sorry, there's a slide that went in uh, the wrong spot. <clears throat> so <clears throat> this, this land that, that's um, been promised um, in um, Genesis 12 and verse 7, uh, God says, Because you've obeyed my voice unto thy seed, while I give this land, the land of what is Israel today. And remember we just said, Abraham until now didn't know where he was going. So God makes it very clear, Abraham, this is the land that I will give to your seed. And in the fifth promise to Abraham from, from Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18 to 21, God mapped out that land for Abraham. He actually gave him a detail, detailed description. It was to be, he's told, from the river of Egypt, the river, of Nile, the river Nile in the south, through to the river Euphrates in the north. And from this map, you can see it's quite a sizable chunk of real estate. And you can see that it encompasses parts of Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, and even Syria. Far more territory than Israel occupies today. 
Under the reign of uh, Solomon, this region was under his dominion for about 40 years in around 1000 BC. And while there was a partial fulfilment, it wasn't the actual fulfilment of the promises. How do we know? Well, let's examine the promises made to Abraham in a bit more detail. And yes, I know that's a busy slide, but it's needed to show how faithful obedience on Abraham's part was rewarded progressively over the period of 50 to 60 years. Between the age of 75, when he received the first promise, he was 99 when he received the seventh promise, and he was possibly 118 to 133 when he received the final, the eighth promise. And he died at the age of 175. And throughout those promises, he received further details of the promise and stronger assurances from God until finally the promises were given to him unconditionally. And if you cast your eye down that list, you'll see some key details that weren't fulfilled even during King Solomon's reign. In Genesis 13, verse 15, God said, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I think you would agree that 40 years of Solomon's reign is not forever. Land was specifically promised to Abraham. God said, I will give it to you. Yet Abraham lived his whole life in a tent, never owing, owning any of it. And that was a deliberate decision on his part because he understood the promises wouldn't be fulfilled during his lifetime. In fact, when his wife Sarah dies in Genesis chapter 23, he goes and purchases some land, the field of Ephron, for 400 pieces of shekels of silver to bury her there. So he didn't receive his inheritance during his lifetime and we find this was the same for his sons Isaac and his uh, grandson Jacob also. In Stephen's defence, he tells us in Acts chapter 7, verse 4 to 5, Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And in this verse there's a hint here at another test of Abraham's faith because Sarah, his wife, was barren. And it wasn't until Abraham was actually 100 years old, 25 years after the promise of offspring was made in Genesis 12, that Isaac was actually born. So what does this all mean? We know that God always keeps his promises. So how did Abraham understand it? Well, come across to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is, we might say, a catalogue of the faithful. And it gives details on the various acts of faith that they showed in their lives. And from verse 8 to 17, we've got quite a sizable section about Abraham and his sons. Verse 8 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, that's 
the same word as for tents. He dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the sea, sure innumerable. For these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, and heavenly, where God, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. So there's, there's a fair bit of detailed info, information given there, isn't there, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And we see that Abraham lived like a pilgrim in the land that he had been promised. And so did his son Isaac and then his grandson Jacob, who in fact finished his last days down in Egypt. None of them expected to be for the promises to be fulfilled in their lifetime. And if Abraham knew this, then he must have had a great confidence that he would receive the promises after he died. He believed in the resurrection and that he would live forever, sometime in the future, because the promise of the land was for an everlasting possession. Okay, let's turn back to Paul's letter to Galatians again. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, we read these words. And this is crucial to understand. Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. All the promises, whilst they were made to Abraham and his descendants, plural, really focus on one special descendant, that is, singular, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most important seed or descendant or offspring of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so therefore Jesus is the primary inheritor of all the promises, a bit like a firstborn. The scripture says about Jesus Christ in Colossians 1 and verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the ecclesia. The firstborn from the dead. In Revelation 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. So when God promised Abraham and his offspring that they would receive an elevated status in the future, kingship, and the blessings of many descendants and a significant chunk of real estate forever, he was primarily promising this to Jesus. So how then do these promises apply to the faithful of old and those 
who are in Christ. Are there other passages that actually talk about this? Well, let's continue on in Galatians. In verse 27 to 28 we read, For as many of you as were baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Galatians 3 and verse 29, and here's the point. Let's read, and if ye are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. So it tells us, as baptised believers in Christ, we become spiritual Jews. We become Abraham's offspring. And we may or we may not have Jewish blood running through our veins. But through faith... We are considered to be his children and therefore inheritors of his promises. And God has promised that through Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, Abraham and all his spiritual offspring can share in those promises also. Second Peter 1 and verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Acts 3 and verse 25 to 26. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. This is God's answer to the events of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And not only will Abram receive the promise, but this land will become the centre of the new world government. In Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4, we read, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as, as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Lord, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is the land, isn't it, that was promised to Abraham. And all the nations are going up. The blessings are flowing to them. In thee shall all nations of the earth be blessed. And he, that is Jesus, shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war any more. This is the time when Jesus Christ will reign on earth as king. And this is the time when finally nations will be blessed in Abraham and in his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. When will the promise be fulfilled? Well, we're still waiting for Jesus to return and, his resur and the resurrection. But we do believe that that will be very soon. And there's plenty of signs about us that would indicate that is the case. How can we be part of the promise again? Mark Chapter 16 and verses 15 to 16, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, 
but he that believeth not shall be condemned. So how can we be saved? How can we be part of those promises? Believe and be baptized into Christ. And then in the words of Galatians chapter 3 and verses 20 to 7 to 29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.